Welcome to the July 8, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we will review a study that addresses the issue of reconstitution of immunity to cytomegalovirus in transplant patients receiving the antiviral drug Latermovir. Learn more about the role extracellular vesicles play in forming a tumor-supportive stromal cell niche in follicular lymphoma. And finally, look at a report identifying a mechanism that couples the treatment of acute ischemic stroke with tissue plasminogen activator to the development of intracerebral hemorrhage. Our first topic is a study entitled Cytomegalovirus-Specific T-Cell Reconstitution Following Latervomir Prophylaxis After Hematopoietic Cell Transplantation by Danielle Zamora from the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle, Washington, and colleagues. Latermovir is a recent FDA-approved antiviral shown to decrease clinically significant cytomegalovirus, or CMV, infection after hematopoietic cell transplantation, or HCT, in a Phase three randomized placebo-controlled trial. Despite this reduction in early CMV infections, there appeared to be an increased rate of late clinically significant CMV events occurring after discontinuation of latermovir prophylaxis. Interestingly, a similar effect had also been seen with gancyclovir prophylaxis post-transplant. In this situation, the reduction in subclinical CMV reactivation from gancyclovir has been thought to delay reconstitution of full immunity to CMV by reducing patient exposure to CMV antigens. To determine if latervomere prophylaxis-associated reduction in viral exposure influences CMV-specific immune reconstitution, Zamora and colleagues performed a prospective cohort study to compare polyfunctional CMV-specific T-cell responses in latervomere recipients to control patients who received PCR-guided preemptive therapy prior to introduction of latervomere. They used a combinatorial polyfunctionality analysis of antigen-specific T-cell subsets to quantitate CMV-specific cellular immunity. Specifically, 13-color flow cytometry was used to assess T-cell responses to five different CMV antigens at three months post-HCT, including immediate early 1 and phosphoprotein-65 antigens. 56 Latervomir recipients and 93 controls were evaluated by this type of immune function testing. Polyfunctional T-cell responses at three months were significantly decreased in Latervomir recipients and remained diminished after adjusting for other factors known to affect CMV immunity, including donor CMV serostatus, absolute lymphocyte count, and steroid use. Among Latervomir recipients, greater peak circulating CMV DNA and increased viral shedding were associated with stronger CD8-positive responses to phosphoprotein-65, whereas CMV shedding rate was associated with greater CD4-positive responses to immediate early-1 antigen. The team concluded that their study provides initial evidence that latervomir may delay CMV-specific T-cell reconstitution, possibly due to decreased CMV antigen exposure. Further, 
They suggest that evaluating T-cell polyfunctionality may identify patients at risk for late CMV infection after HCT. Commentary on the study was provided by Mark Schleiss from University of Minnesota Medical School in Minneapolis, who noted that while overall the study data clearly show that polyfunctional T-cell responses are decreased in the setting of latervomir prophylaxis, and that stronger CD8-positive responses to CMV phosphoprotein-65 antigen and enhanced CD4-positive responses to immediate early-1 antigen are correlated with greater peak CMV, DN anemia, and viral shedding rate, respectively. The possibility that latervomir has a nonspecific yet unrecognized generic effect on T-cell responses may require further investigation since the study also reported a decrease in CD8-positive T-cell responses to the control antigen, Staphylococcus aureus enterotoxin B, in latervomir recipients at 90 days post-HCT. Additionally, further refinements are needed to precisely characterize the anti-CMV management strategy that best balances immune reconstitution against CMV, while at the same time protecting against CMV disease. Monitoring the CMV T-cell response following HCT in at-risk patients will continue to be a critically important component of management, and novel studies to define the transcriptomic signature of CMV reactivation following HCT hold promise in identifying other signature biomarkers associated with circulating CMV DNA. Our next manuscript is a study entitled Extracellular Vesicles Shed by Follicular Lymphoma B-Cells Promote the Polarization of Bone Marrow Stromal Cell Niche by Irwan Dumonté at Université Rennes in France and other colleagues in France. Follicular lymphoma, or FL, is the most common indolent B-cell lymphoma, developing as a disseminated disease infiltrating lymph nodes and bone marrow early in the course of disease. Within invaded lymph nodes, malignant germinal center-derived B-cells are found intermixed with various non-neoplastic cells, including follicular helper CD4 T-cells, lymphoid stromal cells, and macrophages, organized in follicular structures mirroring normal germinal centers, or GC. Indeed, FL is known to be strongly dependent on a permissive microenvironment, with FL-supportive features such as high levels of the CXCL12 chemokine. Within this microenvironment, lymphoid stromal cells have recently emerged as key drivers of an FL-supportive niche. Bone marrow FLB cells are characterized by a lower cytological grade, decreased proliferation, and a specific phenotypic and subclonal profile. Mesenchymal stromal cells, or MSC, obtained from FL bone marrow display a specific gene expression profile, including enrichment for a lymphoid stromal cell signature and increased capacity to sustain FLB cell growth. However, the mechanisms triggering the formation of the FL-permissive stromal niche have not yet been identified. In this study, Dumonte and team collected LN and BM aspirates from patients with FL at diagnosis. Bone marrow was also collected from age-matched patients undergoing cardiac surgery. Their research demonstrated that FLB cells produced extracellular vesicles, or EVs, that could be internalized by bone marrow MMSC, 
making them more efficient to support FL B cell survival and quiescence. Accordingly, EVs purified from FLBM plasma activated TGF-beta-dependent and independent pathways in BMMSC, modified their gene expression profile, and triggered an upregulation of factors classically associated with the hematopoietic stem cell niche, including CXCL12 and angiopoietin-1. Overall, the authors identified FL-derived EVs as mediators of bone marrow stroma polarization and suggested further investigation of how to target the crosstalk between BMMSC and malignant B-cells. Franziska Haddock from University of California, San Francisco, suggests that aside from highlighting the role of cancer cell-derived extracellular vesicles in forming a tumor-supportive stromal cell niche, the study may also define an important targetable axis, since a cancer-favorable tissue niche may impact treatment response in FL. For example, TGF-beta-positive stromal cells have recently been associated with resistance to cancer immunotherapy. Additionally, EVs released by lymphoma B cells have previously been demonstrated to bind therapeutic anti-CD20 antibodies, thereby protecting malignant cells from antibody attack. A role of extracellular vesicles in forming a tissue niche that provides protection of cancer cells from targeted therapy, as well as immunotherapy, may be important to explore in the future, and new insight may guide the design of combinatorial treatment strategies. We will conclude with the study, Neutrophil Extracellular Traps Promote TPA-Induced Brain Hemorrhage via Seagas in Mice with Stroke by Ranran Wang, Wan Boju, Zhang Wang Liu, and other colleagues from Fudan University in Shanghai, China. Thrombolysis with Tissue Plasminogen Activator, or TPA, is the only approved pharmacological therapy for acute ischemic stroke. However, the efficacy of TPA therapy is offset by an increased risk of intracerebral hemorrhage. Although the contributing factors leading to hemorrhage are still not fully understood, there is a clear need to identify a strategy to increase the safety of TPA thrombolysis in ischemic stroke patients. There has been increasing interest in the role of neutrophils in TPA-associated bleeding. TPA has been shown to promote the recruitment of neutrophils into ischemic tissue, likely as a result of TPA-induced breakdown of the blood-brain barrier. Once activated in the ischemic tissue, Neutrophils typically release neutrophil extracellular traps, or NETs, extracellular DNA fibers consisting of histones and granular proteins. Importantly, NETs have been identified as major triggers of thrombosis and inflammation. Recently, NETs were detected in the thrombus of patients with ischemic stroke. Disruption of NETs by DNAs1 reduced ischemic brain injury and improved TPA-induced thrombolysis. The author's recent work has also indicated that targeting NETs improves vascular remodeling during stroke recovery. In this study, Wang et al. sought to investigate the effects of TPA on the generation of NETs in a mouse model of ischemic stroke caused by middle cerebral artery occlusion. First, they showed that TPA activates neutrophils to release NETs after ischemic stroke in this model, and that the release of NETs impairs cerebrovascular integrity. Next, they found that NETs further alter blood-brain barrier permeability. And lastly, 
that nets increase cerebral hemorrhage associated with TPA. Importantly, disrupting nets by DNase-1 administration or peptidyl arginine deaminase-4 deficiency could decrease hemorrhage associated with administration of TPA. The mechanism whereby TPA induces net formation was then explored. TPA-induced expression of a critical enzyme required for net formation, peptidyl arginine deaminase-4 or PAD-4, Inhibition of PAD4 was found to decrease TPA-induced net formation. Finally, TPA treatment was found to significantly increase expression of the DNA sensor C-gas and activation of its adapter sting in microglial cells, resulting in increased expression of IFN-beta and other inflammatory mediators in the ischemic cortex after stroke. DNase-1 treatment to disrupt nets suppressed the activation of the C-gas sting pathway the production of IFN-beta, and subsequent bleeding. These results suggest that the C-gas sting interferon pathway is important for the hemorrhagic effects of NETS. The authors suggest collectively their findings demonstrate that NETS significantly contribute to TPA-induced blood-brain barrier breakdown in the ischemic brain, and that targeting NETS or C-gas may reduce TPA-associated hemorrhage. In a commentary on the study, Matthew Flick, from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, points out that the findings in the study provide an important reminder that despite the utility of employing TPA as a thrombolytic, potential off-target effects must be carefully considered when used to treat acute ischemic stroke. These studies further provide a framework and highlight a pathway forward for designing and testing adjuvant therapies to improve the safety profile of TPA for thrombolysis. Specifically, this study identified strategies and potentially druggable targets that could reduce the role that neutrophil extracellular traps play in TPA-induced bleeding. However, just as TPA treatment provokes deleterious pathways, it will be important to experimentally determine whether such adjuvant therapies result in unintended consequences themselves, including altering coagulation or fibrinolytic pathways in ways that negatively impact thrombolysis. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.